sitting on my doorstep The people's passing by They're coming back from getting wrecked Everybody's high Hello and welcome to Addictions, the podcast about addictions. I'm your host, David Wagner. On today's show, we're going to be doing an interview with a fan of the show named Kevin. Kevin actually sent me a voicemail where he was kind of talking about how much he liked the show, and um, I thought that was really cool. And I began talking with Kevin about some stuff, and... Anyways, we decided we'd have him on the show, so that's who we're going to be talking to today. But first, I'm going to play some audio for you guys that Kevin recorded himself, and it kind of outlines what's going on in his life and how he's feeling and uh, kind of how he's dealing with his problems. So we're going to give that a listen, and right after that, I will be playing the interview that we did. Hey, so my name's um, Kevin Brunker. I, I'm from Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm 23 years old, and I am currently addicted to crystal methamphetamine. All right, so here's the tough part for me. I'm an educated, talented, sophisticated, very funny, attractive guy with the world at my disposal. So why is it that I can't seem to get it? I've watched people around me decline, watched their lives fall into pieces, Watch them push away from all the people they cared about until one day they woke up and realized that they were all alone. I look back on it and it saddens me because I saw it coming for them. The really sad part is is that I'm just barely starting to see where I will wind up if I don't change things soon. I've given almost 16 months of my life up for this drug. I've lost my cars, all my friends, most of my family. My self-respect, my self-esteem, my pride... It pisses me off and makes me angry as hell. The guilt is so intense I can't even tell you. I'm scared about quitting. I'm I'm scared that I'll lose what little I have left and die here all alone. I want to be happy. I want to have a mother to quit worrying about her son all the time. I want to be successful at whatever I choose to do in life. I want people to be proud of me for a change. Okay, we're here with Kevin from Salt Lake City. Kevin is a listener of the show, and he contacted me and wanted to talk about some of the things that he's been dealing with. Kevin has currently been using crystal meth and is having some issues, and he's here to talk with us about that and explain what's going on in his life and his goals, and we're going to see what he has to say. Kevin, are you there? Yeah, hi. Um, well, I, I guess first off, I, I hope everybody listening is doing okay and being safe and trying their best to uh, stay sober, I guess, sober like I am. And also to you, I really appreciate the work that you're doing. It's, I think it's really awesome, and, and I've listened to all the episodes, and it's really great. And I feel like there needs to be more people like you doing this, so thank you. Oh, I and pre- thanks for having me on. I appreciate that, Kevin. That's awesome, man. That right there makes it, it all worth it, you know, to me. So anyways, uh, about how long ago would you say that all of your troubles started, Kevin? 
with crystal meth, the first time I used was June 12th of 2016. Okay. So that's when my problem started with that. I first used drugs when I was 17, you know, started off with marijuana, then yeah. hallucinogens, and then opiates, and benzos, and everything, pretty much. Yeah, and I'm, I'm lucky that nothing else hooked me, uh, because, you know, there were some other addictive substances, and I could have easily got hooked, but this one has... um. Uh, really, really sharp claws, and it's got a tight grip right now, and it kind of sucks. Yeah, and that's that's one thing that's kind of it's always interested me about addiction is how you can take two people, and one person, one of those people might end up addicted to one substance but not the other. It's kind of interesting how that works. Well, I recently thought about that with opiates, actually, because I know if I did enough, I'd probably get addicted. But yeah. I feel like opiates would just make me too tired to want to keep trying to be an addict on them. Crystal meth makes you, like, energetic to keep using. See, for me, the opioids, they turned me into, like, Superman. I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, I'd definitely crash pretty hard. But for me, the opioids would always give me a big boost. You know, I, I dabbled with cocaine and, and a little bit of methamphetamine in the past, but I just never really liked anything speedy like that i don't you know it just wasn't in my appetite i guess so to speak i i have adhd but you know yeah i guess who doesn't i mean i'm not the type of person that when i'm high i'm like all twitchy and moving around and everything like yeah. i know i'm perfectly still and have a calm conversation with you but i'm just firing on all cylinders and the thing i found at first which i think hooked me is when i would use Whatever I was doing in my life that was positive, I was able to do it a hundred times better. Yeah. And then very quickly, within a matter of weeks, instead of making me better, I had to use to feel normal. Yeah, to maintain your, your life, basically. I think eventually it, we all get to that point, you know, where it, you hit that, that almost kind of like a plateau, you know, and you want to keep just using and using. I, I know the feeling. There is a there is a lot of help out there, and um, I definitely think that I I will get sober, and I feel like it'll be sooner rather than later. I'm not going to get sober unless I really want to get sober. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is possible, and I'm every day I'm more excited to move towards it because I don't really need this. What would you say has been your biggest stumbling block or your biggest barrier up until now in in getting sober from the meth? I would say it's uh, a combination of uh, two things. Um, one is that, and I feel like also both of these are uh, the addiction of crystal meth because it feels like another mind inside my mind. But I feel like whenever I try to get sober and stop using, I don't have enough time to recoup my energy and my desire to want to do anything in life before mm -hmm. like the next batch of responsibilities come you know and i have to go you know be an adult again and the other one is uh i mean it feels like uh i i've never had to take a medication to like like insulin for example but i i guess it kind of feels like my insulin or whatever you know i just use it to maintain and i just it's something that i do the thing you said about having a like a double mind almost like there's somebody else doing the talking or the making the excuses the exact same thing when i was you know in the depths of my addiction and 
I I know what you mean. It's and it, it is almost exactly like that. Like there's another person doing the talking. I mean, it's it's still your your own personal narrator, your mind, you know. But it's it's like it's not. It changes you. That's why I've I've always said it definitely changes who you are as a person. Addiction made me do things to people that I love that I would not do in a million years, man. Stealing and stuff like that and. Yeah, yeah, it's just that it's because it's still you, you know, the whole time. And it, it's like almost as if you're on autopilot, but the addiction just kind of kicked you out of the driver's seat and you're not going to be driving for a minute. Yeah, definitely like that, man. We were talking earlier today on the phone, you and I, about you have an interest in neuroscience and stuff like that in the brain. Mm -hmm. To me, that stuff is incredibly interesting. And thanks to, to uh, modern science and medicine, you know, we... We know a lot about the brain, but there's a lot we don't know. I guess it's interesting to me because of the mystery that's still there. I mean, it would be nice to know everything about the brain and be able to just cure any brain disease we want. But in the same token, I think having the, the mystery there is kind of, it compels people to want to jump onto it and figure these things out. Oh, well, yeah, we're, we're a naturally curious species. I mean, we have to have uh, some sort of mystery and uh, adventure to, uh, I mean, that's why we, that's why we, stood upright and walked out of Africa. Yeah, man. Exactly. And then went to the moon. It baffles me because I thought that uh, I've done a lot of research on on the brain and like specifically um, methamphetamine and the brain, but also with different kinds of drugs. And I thought that having that information, then I'd be able to like know what was going on and that I and then I would be able to figure it out and then solve it like an equation basically. And like, I feel like I've learned really all the evidence there is currently for meth in the brain and behavior and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't apply it at all, and that's the part that I need to that I need to figure out. Yeah, um, I I don't know if you've ever used this website before, but it's kind of like a message board basically. It's bluelight.org. Back when I was using opioids heavily, I would. Any new pills that I would find or run into, I would often Google. In, in nine times out of ten, I would end up at blue light reading about whatever huh. I was that I was about to take, you know. Because I try to be yep. smart about being stupid a little bit. If I encounter some drugs, I want to make sure they're the drugs that I paid for, too. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I definitely know exactly what you mean. I, I have um, had multiple questions and um, pill identifying... Uh, moments on blue light as well. I feel like a lot of people have actually. They're really kind of active in the harm reduction community. Oh yeah, absolutely. Which, there's a lot to say about harm reduction. It, honestly, some of the information that I found on bluelight.org very well could have saved my life in a couple of situations now that I think about it. Uh -huh. Well, I don't know if you know who uh, Dr. Carl Hart is. The name doesn't ring a bell right off the top of my head, no. So I've watched a lot of TED Talks about addiction and stuff, and that's where I first learned okay. about him. So he is a neuropsychopharmacologist. So he studies the effects of drugs on the brain. He's done a lot of tests with meth and the brain, and that's where I learned about a lot of this. But he, he basically was talking, and we're never, ever going to get rid of drugs, and we're never going to have a society with no drugs. But yeah, he basically just argues for harm reduction and better education in that because just say no. Yeah, you know, man. It never worked and it never yeah. will work. So rather than that, maybe we could say 
almost all, like 85% of all heroin overdoses is not because of just the heroin. It's because it's combined with another depressant. Yeah. Usually alcohol. Or benzos. Or benzos, yeah. So, you know, just different things like that. My dad always told me, and I, this is probably a really old saying, you know, but an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of worry or something, something like that. You take the steps to prevent these things from happening in the first place, and they, they won't happen, or at least not as frequently. Um, I can't remember uh, what state it was or even where I heard this stat, but I heard this today um, that there was a state recently that put a lot of money into prevention-type education and uh, community things like that for drug use and yeah it basically worked out to where they were spending about two dollars per case for the prevention but if they hadn't done that it would have been about nine dollars for the pickup yeah at the end exactly you multiply that by population yeah and then 50 states like yeah a lot of money yeah oh yeah and then over over time, on top of that, on an annual basis, do it over 10 years and see how much money it is. I will say that I, I'm personally in the somewhat controversial boat that I think that we should decriminalize all drugs, like Portugal. Yeah, I agree 100%, man. I, I don't think that having legal heroin in gas stations, but... Well, no. Traf- like, treating it like a traffic violation. Yeah, I mean, a slap on the wrist, rather than ruining someone's life for... Who knows how long i actually got uh arrested a week ago from yesterday for the first time in my life uh for possession of meth and possession of paraphernalia it was kind of scary you know it definitely not gonna say jail was fun because it was the opposite but it was um it feels like a good motivator because it's like i think it's the kick in the ass that i needed yeah took the words right out of my mouth man it's like i told you earlier quite a few people that I know that's kind of what it took you know these these were people that again deep down they wanted to quit and I think that's really key you gotta want to quit you gotta want to be done with it you know otherwise you're not gonna be done with it until you do want to be done with it they got into trouble with the law and that was the you know the shot in the arm that they needed or you know the the leash so to speak that they needed to be attached to in order to to get help finally can't lie to you and say that everyone succeeds that way you know not everyone does but not everybody wants to quit either and that's probably the issue so i would tell you you know as long as you want to quit with the meth and stuff kevin this whole thing is it'll pass you by before you even realize it's it's done and that'll make it easy you definitely sound like you really want to be done with this stuff and that's great and i i commend anyone who can even admit that they have a problem I've only met one or two other uh, people using meth. I've never formed a social circle around um, other users because I didn't want to get sucked into that spiral, and there's not a lot of trust in that community. But no. there's only been one or two out of the several that I've met that are actually like conscious of the fact that they're just going down a, a drain pipe. Yeah. Uh, everybody else is, has these grandiose schemes. Like, I, I swear to God, every tweaker has some plan for the next year and a half to open up some business or something or, like, come out with this new invention or something and get it all worked out. And I feel bad because there's a lot of people that are just, they don't realize the bites that it's taken out of their life. Yeah, I can, um, I can relate to that. You know, like I said, I live in a rural area. The biggest town is about... 10 miles away and it's decent sized town it's it's not huge by any any measure but 
quite a few young people there and quite a few young people with opioid problems. Opioids are the big one around here right now. I would say 75% of them, you know, probably still just don't realize that they even have a problem or, they, or they're in denial and they don't want to admit that they have a problem. And like you said, a lot of these people, they have a plan, you know, and they, they, they're planning on using forever, it seems like, you know, and eventually it's going to take its toll if you're a daily user. You can't put your body through that on a daily basis and expect to face no repercussions. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I feel like a lot of the people in the younger generations, I mean, I'm fairly young. I, I turned 24 in March, so I, okay. you know, I'm definitely a millennial. Yeah. Um, but I feel like a lot of people in the younger generations, it, it almost seems like, you know, people use these hard drugs and they look at it like they're just, yeah, you know, go pick up some oxy, make a new smartphone. It's just another thing. Like there's no, they don't view it as how extreme it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think to a degree, as drug addicts or whatever you want to call it, really, substance abuse users, either way, I think we all kind of eventually delude ourselves into thinking this way to a degree, you know? I mean, I look back at it and I was seven and a half years, Kevin. I, I mean, wow, what the hell was I doing? But the thing is, I, I was prescribed a lot of hydrocodone. I was actually prescribed this stuff for like four years, man. Yeah, no, I I, I understand totally. And I, I feel like with a lot of the stuff that's been going on with all these pharmaceutical companies and doctors and they pay Congress more than anything else ever has ever annually. And I mean, last year, the pharmaceutical companies spent almost $650 billion. That's just outrageous, Don't, isn't it? Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that that's pretty close to yeah, the, uh, the figure. Um, I would imagine, and, and and it's not like those figures are kept secret, you know. Anybody that wants to know can find out how much they spend, and it's crystal clear. It's a lot. You know, and I, I feel like at, at some level, individually, some of the doctors might care, but I feel like um, pharmaceutical companies and the doctors and the prescribers were just kind of, were maintaining the numbing of the American public, basically. Definitely, because dude. There's a lot of shitty things in society, and, you know, politics are kind of scary and stuff, so let's just keep us all at this nice lull, so, you know, there's no riots or anything. Um, yep, you've got a, it's like the the ancient Romans philosophy of uh, bread and circuses. You keep the people fed and entertained, and they won't they won't pay attention to the man behind the curtain. Seriously, Trump could be talking about nuclear war with North Korea on Twitter all day long. Yeah, but exactly. The new Star Wars movie comes out in December, and that's all I'm focused on. That's it, man. That's right. <clears throat> when you were talking about your doctor just so easily and nonchalantly saying that, it reminded me of when I had my wisdom teeth taken out because, you know, I wasn't, like, in an extreme amount of pain, but I knew that uh, Lortab felt good. And uh, he gave me a prescription for 15 of them. And three days later, because he also gave me a cell phone number and said, you can call me at any time if there's any complications. Mm -hmm. So I called him three days later on a Sunday morning. And I was like, hey, you uh, took out my wisdom teeth on, you know, on Thursday. And uh, and as I was about to start the next sentence, he was like, oh, do, do, do you need me to uh, call in another uh, script for you to pharmacy? I was like, I mean, if if that wouldn't be too much trouble, <laughs> yeah, it was 
so automatic. And he's like, yeah, just uh, send me the name of the pharmacy, uh, your first and last name, and their uh, phone number. Five minutes later, I had a script for uh, another controlled substance being filled. That's funny that you mentioned the dentist. Uh, after I was cut off by my doctor from my opioids, and this is how crazy and uh, convincing that second mind can be. On a couple of occasions, Kevin, I went to the dentist without any tooth pain because I knew mm -hmm. that I knew that I could go there and say, oh, I have this tooth that's abscessing and got a lot of pain. And I knew that my dentist would prescribe me 30 to 40 Vicodin 750 ESs. Holy you know, fucking shit. And I was willing to take a $1,200 debt because there's no way I was going to pay him in order to get that. But that, that goes to show you how easily you can just excuse that type of behavior. Oh, totally. And it's so easily accessible. I don't want to give anybody any ideas, but I never did this to like support a habit, but uh, there, there was three separate occasions and it was just happened to be a Friday night or a Saturday night. Uh, I was hanging out with some friends and we wanted to uh, drink some promethazine with a uh, codeine cough syrup. And I knew that if I went to urgent care and said that I had a cough, it was uh, keeping me up at night and it yep. woke me up in the night and I had a sore throat. And so I just went in and did that and boom, big bottle of cough syrup. And it was always way too much. It was always like a two week supply. Yeah. Yep. Right before I got clean, I had one last ditch effort to go to my dentist and try to get some drugs and, uh, it's either he was on to me or this, you know, my, my, my situation happened over a pretty long period of time. So this last time I went to see the dentist wasn't all that long ago, last year, maybe he was either on to me or he just doesn't prescribe opioids as much as he used to because of the awareness now, I guess, about the mm -hmm. opioid epidemic. But doctors used to get in trouble for under prescribing pain in this country. And there was a big push. By, by the pharmaceutical companies to a degree to get opioids prescribed more rather than just in end-of-life situations. They published yep. a study. It was a really poorly done study, they, a really small group of people, and they hailed this study. You know, It showed that a few of these people didn't get addicted to these drugs, and they basically waved this around as a flag to all the doctors saying, look, these drugs aren't as addicting as we thought they were, and now we're kicking ourselves in the ass for it. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen the very original uh, OxyContin yeah. uh, commercials, but they say that it, it there is zero potential for addiction. <laughs> that, that's unreal. It's just so crazy. Um, I know that um, you know with them um, really getting in there and wanting uh, doctors to prescribe more um, before. I, I don't know exactly when this happened, but sometime around when all the other stuff we've been talking about has happened. There was only four vital signs that they checked for, and now the fifth vital sign when you go in is on a scale of 1 to 10, what is your level of pain, which is not a vital sign. Yeah. The doctors have always referred to, at least here in my state, as pain as the 10th the vital sign or whatever or whatever number, the extra vital sign. But, yeah, like you said, mm -hmm. it's, it's really not. No. Like, animals and creatures tend to be in discomfort sometimes, and... Uh, if you're in pain, that doesn't mean that you're not vital and about to die. Yeah, but, exactly. You know, if you have a heart arrhythmia or if your blood pressure is skyrocketing, that could be a problem. So, yeah, it's uh, it's twisted. 
you were you were talking about the doctors and how how a lot of pharmaceutical companies will lobby will lobby Congress and put a lot of money into that, and how they they kind of hold the doctor's hand in, in a lot of that stuff sometimes. And as far as I know, as the research that I've done shows that doctors generally only have to take like a two-day, eight-hour course to yeah. to get the license to prescribe Suboxone. So it's not like they're incredibly educated on the subject either. Not necessarily even just Suboxone. A lot of the doctors might not be entirely educated on addiction. Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. I agree with that. Yeah, it's uh, it's a little bit, it's it's a little unnerving uh, the the small amount of requirements uh, that it takes for these kinds of issues in order for them to potentially do a lot of damage. So since since you've been arrested, Kevin, I kind of want to touch on that a little bit more before we move on. You know, since since that happened, have you started going to any sort of meetings or rehab or any programs or anything like that? Yeah, uh, at at first, um, all right, so for the first five days, uh, for the first three days, I basically just slept. Um, yeah. Because when I got arrested, I had been up for about two and a half days. Mm-hmm. So I just, I crashed out. And uh, then when I started to get my energy back, um, I really didn't want to go to NA or AA. I, it's hit and miss for me there because... Sometimes I go and I have a great time and I meet a lot of really cool people and learn some stuff. And other times it just puts people that have used drugs around me and it'd be nice sometimes to just not think about it or focus on it. For sure. So I just didn't want to, it just sounded kind of depressing to go and just, you know, war, talk about all my war stories again. So I decided not to go on the sixth day of what. I thought, okay, I'm not going to go to an AA meeting, but I'll probably just get some meth, actually. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, when, when I'm high, I, I I don't really enjoy my high because I just kind of beat myself up, and I'm really guilty the whole time. So mm-hmm. about an hour after I used and picked up, I got really depressed and pissed at myself. And then I went to an AA meeting. And this was uh, this was on Sunday, actually. Yeah. Um, and I got a sponsor. He's uh, he seems really awesome. He's almost forty. He um, used uh, crystal meth for about fifteen years. Been sober for like seven or eight. And you know all the little tiny things that are really hard to explain to somebody that hasn't used um, crystal. Like it was just totally clicking with me and him. It, yeah, it's making me really hopeful because yeah, I feel like he can definitely help me. And he's also not really leaving me alone either, which is kind of super awesome yeah yep it might be annoying at first but man it it can really save your ass you know if the programs work for you man do it do it uh you know they they might not work for everybody but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't at least try and give it a shot and if they work fucking awesome stick with it dude i'm a big big proponent of whatever works for you to get to where you need to be do it because there's a lot of different paths to that point so many resources out there there are there really are there there's the meetings there's friends there's i always tell all of my guests man if you ever i don't care what time it is or anything if you ever need somebody to talk to man if i'm here i'll talk you know i can't guarantee that i'll always be responsive but you know if i'm if i'm in the middle of a deep sleep i'm probably not going to respond but that being said you know if if i'm available i'll talk to any of you guys uh 
because I've been there, man. I, I don't know everything as far as addiction goes, and I'm not a doctor, and I'm not a counselor. I, I'm just i just someone who's been there. For me, I, I feel like uh, these meetings are, are being beneficial. I can't tell you how it'll play out in the long run, but in my head, I don't want to be going to AA meetings 10 years down the road and yeah. still talking about oh, I don't blame it 10 years ago. I'm, I really want to use them as to get me out of the drug world and off the drug and then just focus on normal positive things that are naturally rewarding. Like, uh, I mean, I live in Salt Lake City. There's a, there's a lot of really fun outdoor stuff here. I mean, and, and Kevin, they will be rewarding, man. I'm telling you, now that I'm 10 months sober, it was a little shaky for a while because of like post-acute withdrawal syndrome, and I'm not sure if that's going to be an issue with the meth or not. It, oh, yeah. it very yeah. well could be. You know, once once some of that depression and anxiety starts to lighten up, and there's things you can do to help with that along the way, but once it does lighten up, life just seems so much better. I mean, I'm still facing all of the problems that I was facing before my addiction. I'm still living in poverty. I'm still not entirely as successful in life as I would have liked to have been by now. But you know what? I've got people that care about me. I've got a roof over my head. I've got an amazing 10-year-old daughter that loves me. And it's really, I'm, I'm not a religious guy, but it is a fucking miracle that we even exist. That right there just makes me happy, man. And it's almost like yeah. a high in itself. It feels great. I'm really excited. I'll catch up to you eventually. Yeah, yeah, you uh, will, man. You definitely I'll be there soon. Uh, and just keep that mindset, Kevin. Just keep your eyes on the, on the prize. Well, I heard, I heard a good analogy for it today. Um, uh, I, was, I was watching a video. Uh, he was basically talking about this specific thing, and when you first stop doing it and are into sobriety, there's just that gray and lull and just hopeless, depressed, apathetic feeling. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the uh, I forgot the specific term that he used, but basically where when a dog salivates when it sees food, you use the bell to uh, trigger mealtime or, or like a, a chime or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then eventually, uh, over time, just you ringing the bell will get the dog to salivate. Yeah. Yep. That's basically what, what the drugs do is you, you're introducing that bell into your life and replacing the natural, you know, yeah. joys and pleasures in life. And it, it will reverse you stop ringing that bell it'll go back and uh it will that and food it, will be all you need it takes it takes time but it will go back man and there's there's like i said there's things you can do along the way to promote that one of the big ones and it really helped me and it's it's still helping me is trying to be physically active i work on a farm and it's pretty that's pretty labor intense as it is but when i get home i actively go out and walk the dog i'll try to do push-ups and stuff in the morning and stretches and once you make yourself sweat from the exercise, though, that's when you know that your brain is releasing those endorphins. Those uh -huh. endorphins are going to really help you out with the depression and the anxiety. And they might not help at first, but if you give it time and stick with it, I have no doubt that you'll definitely notice a difference. And it's not like you need a, a home gym to be able to do it. You know, you're, you've got everything you need on your body. Push-ups and sit-ups, stuff like that, you know, the old-fashioned stuff, it'll definitely promote that kind of brain activity yeah I, re I really really uh need to and want to get back into that stuff because i used to be pretty physically active yeah, um, i mean i'm not out of shape now but yeah you know i used to play sports and go uh, mainly you know hiking and you know yeah stuff in the mountains and it's win-win man when you're physically active and stuff you you're healthier and you just feel better 
it's not anything that's going to eat up your entire day or anything like that, you know. And Yeah, it's just good, good for you. One other question I wanted to ask you, though, before we wrap this up was, do you have any advice or could you give any advice to anybody who's struggling? I ask everybody this. Anybody who's struggling in, in a similar situation to yours? Yeah, absolutely, I do. So I've been in extremely depressed, awful situations, you know, living out of my car and being homeless and just stuff I never thought I'd get out of. And I just thought I was trapped there forever. And as long as you just keep remembering what's true to you and what's inside and what you really care about, the sun will come up the next morning. If you just keep staying true to your core and keep trying to like the person that you are, or at least believing in yourself, it will get better. Yeah, man, definitely. You kind of keep your chin up kind of thing. That's the same message I try to tell everybody else that I know and that I care about, you know. Time will march on and this will eventually be behind us. It, it's It's gotta, you know. And if you want it, it's there for the taking. You just gotta really put in the work and stick to your guns, you know. I can tell you with, uh, with where I'm at right now, as long as I keep doing what I'm doing, working, working the system and staying positive, I will definitely accomplish all of those things. Being on the show has been awesome this evening, and it's really helped me, and I feel really positive and good right now. So thank you for that. Thank you for having me on. Of course, man. And, you know, I, I'd i love to have you on in the future, Kevin, uh, to kind of check back up on you, man, see how things are going, you know. Uh, regardless, even if you've taken a step back, man, we're all pulling for you, and we all believe in you, man. We all think you can get through Thanks. this, definitely. I appreciate it, and I will. And the next time I'm on the show, uh, it'll be really nice to tell you about my six months sobriety. Awesome, man. That that would be great, Kevin. Like I said, I appreciate it, and I appreciate the listening too, man. You are the exact definition of uh, the reason I do this show. You know, it really touches my heart in a pretty awesome way to know that there's people out there like you, Kevin. I it sucks that you're in the situation that you're in, in the circumstances, but you know, who knows? When you get through this. Who knows what sort of opportunities are going to come your way. And you might even be surprised that through doing this, you may even discover some opportunities that may have not been there otherwise. I look at it as kind of a, a rebirth of you, which I think yeah. we, we, we could all stand to, to go through from time to time. Absolutely. But yeah, I, I want to thank you again, Kevin. And we will definitely be uh, talking to you in the future. And we wish you the best of luck, man. Yeah, thank you. And um, I, I, again, I really appreciate the work that you're doing. And, uh, and don't quit what you're doing. Well, I thought that was quite the interview. Honestly, I learned a lot from talking with Kevin. I feel like he's a very smart, articulate young man and that he has a good head on his shoulders. And from the sounds of it, he has the right idea and he's going to use this opportunity to get out of this addiction thing. And I truly believe that if he really puts his mind into it and does the work, that he'll come out on top and he will defeat his addiction. I'm David Wagner, and you've been listening to the Addictions Podcast. Thank you. If you really love the show, be sure and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash addictionspodcast. And if you really want to help us out, and support what we're doing, visit patreon.com slash addictions. Again, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash addictions. 
And remember, never quit quitting. Seems so damn long. Weekends past, you're still a jerk. After the buzz is gone.